Turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 12. Before we get into our text for today, I want us to pray together. We've been in the habit of praying for civil authorities so that the gospel would move out uh, in peace and quiet. And there's so many communities represented here that I just want us to pray for the vast communities represented here. Any elected official, any authority, civilly, school board, commissioners, mayors, anybody that makes decisions for the civil environment, that we would pray for those people as they come to your mind. And then I want to pray for the other churches that we're in partnership with. There's two churches named C3. There's one in Commerce, and then there's one in Rowlett. And they're both named C3, and they're both like-minded churches. C3 and Commerce was started uh, via families here at Crosspoint. And so we're going to pray for both C3s. Uh, similar things happening there. Um, very encouraging to see the gospel going out in those communities via elder-led gospel preaching churches. So pray with me about those two things, and then we're going to jump into the text. Father, there's um, so many communities represented here this morning. Um, smaller communities, larger cities. And we're praying right now for the various authorities that come to mind who make decisions around us that impact the environment in which this gospel goes out. As we hold Jesus out as the only option from God's wrath, that difficult holding out that we do, we pray that it would go out and be received in an environment of peace because of the decisions that these men and women make. We're grateful that we have the opportunity and privilege to approach you this morning on behalf of those authorities. And God, we pray for C3 in Commerce. We're so grateful for that you've given that church the gift of elders and deacons and families and that they are salty and that they are gospel-centered and Jesus-centered and that they are spirit-empowered people that you have gathered a people for, just like that for your name's sake in Commerce. And for C3 and Rowlett, we pray the same things. We're grateful that you've given them the gift of elders and deacons by your design and that you are being preached and your gospel is being unfolded and unpacked there and that you are drawing families and gathering people for your namesake in Rowlett. And, and God, I'm also grateful and praising you this morning that the men in both of those churches called C3, that at both locations that they are paying special attention to the doctrine. They're paying special attention to the preaching and the teaching. And I'm grateful for that. And we praise your name that you are multiplying your church. You are growing your church. You are building your people all around us. And I pray for the pastors and the elders and the deacons at that church that those two churches that you would this morning, even as we're gathering, that you would be boldly proclaiming your gospel message through whatever's being preached. And that these men that are speaking and preaching would be wrecked by the gospel and wrecked by what they're preaching and we are grateful that you are here with us. We're grateful that you are attending to us this morning. God, I pray, especially for this sermon, that you would speak clearly in spite of me. And that we would connect some dots this morning um, in this passage. And that you would equip us to hold out that Jesus option, the only option away from God's wrath. That we would hold that out in this Christmas holiday season better because of what we engage today. And it's in Jesus' name that we ask these things and pray these things. Amen. Well, this is a uh, sermon on contentment. And I, the only reason I'm smirking in, in, is because when I say the word contentment, I think there's probably two different reactions. The, the first one, I think, is probably the reaction that I have, that most of us have. 
Oh, he's going to preach on contentment. Okay. Here comes the guilt and the shame. I, I, need, to, I need to act more grateful. I know. I need to be more appreciative of what I have. And because we live in such abundance, we live in such blessing, that when we hear that word contentment, I think it's an immediate reminder. Oh, I've been complaining a lot. <laughs> I've been, I'm, I live in a state of whining. And that's reminded when you hear that word contentment. Because usually, for most of us, when somebody says that word contentment, we immediately know, I don't have it. I don't have contentment. I'm not quiet about my situation. I'm not at rest with what the situation that I'm in. But there's a few of you, and I've seen it in you. And I can just scan the crowd and see. I know who you are without naming your name. There are a few of us. When I say that word contentment, you know. You're at rest, and I can see it and because of this. You know that contentment is not some gift. You know that contentment is not dumb luck. You know that contentment is a quiet place where you rest via a long, hard journey of trial. And you know that. And when I say contentment, you're, you're, you're at rest with that. And you know that this is not going to be guilt and shame this morning. You know the long, hard journey. You know the difficulty, the pain, the questions, the shirking, the uneasiness, the restlessness of a trial, of a thorn in the flesh. And so, I think that's probably one of the two responses we have this morning. So, just know this. I don't have a bag full of guilt and shame I'm about to unpack on you this morning. You rich Americans. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. But what I want us to connect, I want us to connect and land at contentment. And I want us to look at two things before we get to contentment. And it is our conceited hearts connected to boasting in our thorns in the flesh is how we get to contentment. It, it's, I've never really gone this path, but this has wrecked me this has run me through the last two weeks. That in order to get to contentment, I search for conceit. And we're going to look at conceit. And then I look for the thorns in the flesh that he has given me. They are a gift. And then we land at contentment. And so, let's read this, this passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to read the first 10 verses, but focus primarily on 7 through 10. It's an odd beginning, an odd little story here at the first six verses. Don't get hung up on it, though, just yet. Uh, hang with me. Hang with Paul here. Verse 1. I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to a third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Okay, that's an odd little five verses there. Don't get hung up there just yet. We'll explain that in just a minute. Verse 6. Though if I should wish to boast, Paul speaking, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in or hears from me. No one would think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Verse 7. So to keep me from being conceited, some of your verses, your translations may say becoming too elated. I think conceited is the better word. It's the same word we're going to see in Romans 12 in the original language. The new ESV changes it to conceited. So you can interchange those. I'm using conceited there. Okay? 
to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too conceited. Verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Here's the context for this passage and to explain the oddity of the verse five verses, okay? This Corinthian church, most of these people most likely came from false religions and false teachers where most of what they were following was very sensational. Uh, Many of these people were following people maybe loosely related to the scriptures, were following cults, false teachers, and these, these false teachers would employ magic. And they would tell these grand stories of viewing into the spirit world, of having these visions that were confirmed by other people. And so the Corinthians were enamored with the sensational, the visionary, the supernatural. And Paul says in verse 1 through 5, well, I've seen some things too. But you see, Paul is being accused by these people. Many of these people in the Corinthian church are probably saying, you know what, Paul? Uh, Our old preacher, our old teacher, our old guy we used to follow, he's talking about you saying you're not really valid. Because he's got stories that outdo your stories when it comes to the sensational and visions and revelations. He's got better stories, Paul, than you got. He looks more valid to us. We're thinking about moving our membership to his, back to his church because he's got more stuff, crazy stuff that's happened and it's impressive. And so here Paul is. He's put in this position in chapter 12 where he has to say, okay, what am I going to do with these accusations? What am I going to do with these comparisons? What am I going to do? I've been put in a position where I need to validate myself in front of my people, these people that I planted the gospel I saw this grow and come together. And this is the key. Paul is being put in a position where he he feels like he needs to validate himself. Validate himself based on these experiences. And that's what he says here. Look, I know a man who had some sort of vision into heaven. And I know the details of it. And he's not even allowed to talk about it too much. And I'm not allowed to talk about it. But I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to compare my visions to their visions. In fact, when I'm put in a position, listen, when I'm put in a position to validate myself, here's where Paul goes. He twists it and goes backwards. This is what I'm going to do. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. I'm going to share with you people the thorns, the struggles, the hindrances, and the oppositions that God gave me And I'm going to show you and put on display my inability in those weaknesses. I'm going to show you and talk to you about the pain, the struggle. And then you'll see his power in it. So I won't attempt to validate myself. I won't won't be conceited. Conceited is a crazy little word. Egotistical, egocentric, proud, boastful. Self-important, popular word these days, swagger, haughty, too big for one's britches, stuck up, high and mighty, uppity. It's the opposite of transparent and humble. The opposite of transparent, lowly, and humble. And so Paul says in verse 7, to keep me from being too big for my britches. God gave me a thorn. Now, let's look at this conceited a little further. I want us to unpack this conceited because the, the conceited, being conceited, 
thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought, continually trying to validate who we are as a husband or a wife or a parent or a friend. Continually doing that will kill you. It will lead to death. It will wear you out. And so let's unpack what conceited. Let's see conceited as the enemy to contentment this morning. That's where I want you to be. Being conceited is the enemy to contentment. So turn to Romans 12. Paul unpacks, as he does many times in Romans, what he says to these churches in the letters. We get a better, more full explanation in Romans a lot of times. So Romans chapter 12. He speaks about this conceit. He mentions it in verse 3, and then he unpacks a little bitty idea here in 14 through 16 that I want us to look at, or 14 through 19. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. He's speaking of gifts of grace given to the church, how to walk in this church, how to walk in this faith as a people, and he speaks of this conceit. For by the grace given to me, verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Okay? Pretty simple. I know how to not be conceited, Brad. I get it. Don't be arrogant. Don't be boastful. Don't be too big for my britches. It's bigger than that. It's, It's more of an enemy than just something you can just set your mind to and try and set aside and not be. This is not something you can muster up. And I want you to see what conceit robs you of and robs me of. And and we're going to see that here in verse 14. Look at verse 14. This is a chiasm. And listen, I am not well versed in the fancy words, but this is easy to understand. A chiasm is just uh, a set of ideas, uh, three, four, five ideas that one, two, three things are said. There's a center middle place, or if you turned it on its, on its side, it'd be a triangle. Thing, three thoughts build up to make a point, and then there are three thoughts that mirror the first three thoughts to all enforce the main point. Does that make sense? Three ideas or thoughts that build then you have, you say something, you make a point, and then there's three thoughts that mirror or sound just like the first three thoughts that move away. It's just how a writer emphasizes something. Look at verse 14. The first thing is bless those who persecute you. Bless them, don't curse them. That's number one. We're building up to the chiasm here. Bless, don't persecute. Rejoice with those who rejoice, number two. Weep with those who weep. Number three, live in harmony with one another. That's the fourth. And here in the middle is the main point, the emphasis. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Never be in a place where you feel like you are constantly having to validate your own worth. Validate your self-importance. Don't live there. Don't be that guy. And then flowing away from the main point, the backside of the chiasm, mirroring harmony, give thought to what is honorable inside of all. Live in peace. Harmony, peace, you see how that mirrors that? Never avenge yourself, but live Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You see how you're blessing people that curse you, that persecute you, and then that's mirrored with, Vengeance isn't ours. You are robbed, you and I are robbed of the liberty and the freedom and the liberating feelings of blessing anyone when we're so focused on ourselves and so conceited because we're spending so much time trying to validate who we are. We're robbed of being able to bless anybody, much less those who persecute us. We can't say that. 
When other people are rejoicing, listen, this is testimony time. When other people are rejoicing about something, and yet I am in this constant state of trying to validate who I am, and I'm a little bit down or discouraged about it, and I'm wondering, when am I going to get encouragement? What about me? And I hear people rejoice about something, I give it the old, oh, good for you. That's really good. And on the inside, I'm thinking, what about me? What about me? It's conceited. And I can't rejoice with you if I'm conceited. I can't weep with you because if I'm conceited, listen, this is harsh. If I'm conceited and you're in trouble and you're weeping, if I'm conceited, I don't really care. I don't really care that you're weeping. My problems are bigger than yours. I'll act like it. Sorry about that, man. I got to go. <laughs> I got to go validate myself some more. It'll wear you out being conceited. It robs us of the liberty of blessing people who persecute us and not being owned by this vengeance. And it robs us from being able to truly weep with people who are weeping because the focus isn't on, on us. And we're not having to constantly defend. And we're not defensive. There's freedom in this when we're not conceited. Great freedom. We can actually rest in God's wrath. It's not something we run from. We rest in it knowing His wrath is set upon all things. And I rest in Christ. I know vengeance is His. It's not mine. In fact, I'm resting in the truth of His wrath. I hope you see the liberty and the freedom in rejecting conceit. Conceited man works hard to convince everyone else that they should admire themselves as much as they admire me or think they deserve to be admired. You, you know what this conceited is? It's saying, I must be satisfied with myself. I don't need anything. I don't, I don't need anything. I'm satisfied with me. I got this. Validate, 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 validate all day long. I'm satisfied with me and what I've set my mind and my hands to. I'm satisfied with me. I need to be satisfied with me. Validate over and over and over. And it is hard work and it will wear you out. Constantly battling, posturing, positioning yourself so that others are also convinced of your worth. That's the, that's the pressure Paul is feeling here in 2 Corinthians 12. That's what he's feeling. Paul, who are you? What, these, these guys have some impressive stuff over here. Who are you? And he's put in a position of, man, I got to validate myself here. My people are about to walk. The conceited miss out on these liberties and these blessings and these freedoms of being able to bless and weep and aren't free from vengeance. They're paralyzed. A conceited man. When I'm conceited, I'm paralyzed and I am, listen to this, I'm lukewarm. When I'm conceited, I'm rendered lukewarm and paralyzed spiritually. You know why? Because when I'm conceited and I don't need anything and I'm working so hard to validate myself and I'm working so hard to be satisfied with who I am, even spiritually, I'm not praying. Uh, remember 1 Timothy 2? Men are supposed to lead with hands lifted, a hand yielded to God, yielded to other men, saying, it's not me, I'm done, I am yielding to a God, don't look at me, look at him, and I'm praying, yielding first to God, first to the ultimate source. Don't look here. Men should lead this way, praying first. Praying with hands lifted. And that's not a conceited man. A conceited man is too conceited to raise his hands. Too conceited to yield. Too conceited to say, God, we need you. I don't have it. I don't have what it takes. The conceited are prayerless. The conceited are not yielding. 
Scott sent me a statement this week as we were talking through it that he was reading in a book, and I'm so glad he sent it to me. John Piper um, says this, that the, he, he, he calls uh, the self-satisfied interchangeably with conceit. That's the same, same thing. Being self-satisfied is being conceited. The essence of lukewarmness is this statement, I need nothing. The lukewarm are spiritually self-satisfied or conceited. Listen to this. To find out whether or not you are conceited or not, don't look into your head to see if you think you are needy. Let me say it again. Don't look into your head to see if you think you are needy. Rather, look at your prayer life. It doesn't matter what we think in our head. The test of whether we're in bondage to spiritual conceit is how earnest and frequent and extended our prayers are. So if you want to be somebody that's at rest and quiet and content, search your heart for conceit. Don't look into your head to say, am I needy? Look at your prayer life. Is that a sign that says, I am dependent. I am yielding. I need him. That's a good place to look. What Paul is employing here in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, and what he's employing here in Romans 12, is what, something he says in Romans 8. You don't have to turn there, just listen. You've heard this before. It's very practical, and I'm not afraid to say that. It's just very practical to this. And he's employing Romans 8, 5 through 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For this, to set the mind on the flesh is death. To set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So this is a, a setting of our minds. Very practical here. Set your mind via prayer. Set your mind via your weaknesses and your trials. Set your mind on things of the Spirit, not on what you see. Not on what you hear people say about you. You set your mind on what the Scriptures say. You set your mind on what Christ has accomplished. You set your mind again. On Tuesday, when you don't feel content, you go back and set your mind again on what He's accomplished. You set your mind again on a finished work. And next week, we come back and we set our minds on it again. And Thursday afternoon, when you're in the car, you set your mind on it again. Look at your prayer life to see if you are setting your mind on the flesh or setting your mind on the Spirit. So how do we keep from being these conceited people? Back to 2 Corinthians 12. How do we keep from being conceited? If conceited is going to rob us from all this stuff, all these freedoms and joys and liberties, if being conceited is going to keep us from this, if it's going to keep us from contentment, how do we keep from doing this? How do we keep from being conceited? How do we keep our mind set on the Spirit. Here's the deal. There's, there's, you don't do anything. <laughs> he does it. And here's how he does it. It seems crazy and it seems backwards, but he does it. He does it by giving us a thorn in the flesh. He does it by giving us a thorn in the flesh. And we'll talk about what those thorns look like. It seems backwards though, doesn't it? I mean, if you're like me, I'm sitting here thinking, Lord, if you would just make things go a little smoother. If, just give me a break. <laughs> one little break. If you'll give me one little break, you'll make things go just a little bit smoother. If I could just receive a little bit more encouragement or validation from my wife, our marriage would be better. I could do this. If I, if God, if you would just give me some more accolades or some encouragement, if, if you would just encourage us some more, if you, listen, if you just give us a little more money, then I'd be content. <laughs> it's backwards. He doesn't do that. You know why? Because if you get more accolades, you get more encouragement, you get more validation, and you get more money, you become more conceited. You become more conceited. You don't, you don't become more content. It's backwards. You see that? So what I want is not what I need. What I want is more validation. 
And what he gives me is trouble. <laughs> what? Let's look at what Paul says in verse 7. The second half of verse 7. So to keep me from being conceited, he gives me a gift. Oh good. A great gift of a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too conceited. Now, <clears throat> this thorn in the flesh, it's been debated for hundreds of years on what this is. Look, don't get caught up in that debate. All right? It could have been seasonal. It could have been something that God never took away. It might have been mental. It could have been emotional. It could have been physical. It could have been an illness. I don't think it matters, and I don't think it matters to Paul here. That's why he didn't tell us. And also, if you'll just glance over real quickly to the second half of verse 9, I mean, I'm sorry, verse 10, I am content with what? He gives us a list of five things. Weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Man, I could probably fit all my problems in those five, right? Can't you? All my problems fit in that somewhere. All of my trials fit in there. And that's why I think Paul gives us that list. Don't worry about exactly what it was for Paul. It was a struggle, it was a hindrance, and it was an opposition. It was trouble. Maybe very, very painful. Very, very difficult. And maybe for you, that's on a diff, you know, who knows where you are on the scale with your hardships, weaknesses, persecutions, and calamities, and insults. I don't know where that is for you. It doesn't matter. He's given them to you to keep you from being conceited, to keep you from being robbed of the liberties in Christ. So don't get caught up on exactly what it is. Just know it's trouble. And it's from God. And in this Satan part about being harassed, think Job. God, God isn't duking it out with the devil over your trial. That's not what he means to say here. Satan popped up and wants to give me trouble. And I hope God can... Knock him down and get me through it. That's not what's happening here. God has allowed the prince of the power of the air to harass us and give us thorns. Why? Why would you do that, God? To keep me from being conceited. To keep me from being robbed of the liberties I have in Jesus. That's why he does it. And so it's a good gift. Not fun. It's not easy. But it's good gift. The thorns are here to reset our minds on the Spirit. You see that? Set your mind and then reset your mind on the Spirit. The thorns are given to reset our minds on His work. And what's happening here is that Christ is reassuring Paul, not only of his finished work, but his sustaining work. I not only have finished and completed the work and I'm seated on my throne, but I am also going to sustain you. My grace keeps going. I have this unimaginable depth of grace to save my people on the cross, done and completed and finished, and yet I have grace that keeps sustaining you. It's the sustaining work of the cross, the sustaining work of his grace. Then he says the therefore. Look at verse 9. I'm sorry, look at verse 8. <clears throat> Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest in me. So, he's going to keep me from being conceited. He's going to give me a thorn. And what do I do with that thorn? I will boast gladly in it. Here's what that may look like for you. These are just some illustrations that I thought of. Pretty simple. This is not too complicated, but maybe this season especially, hopefully all year, this is what <clears throat> boasting in a weakness may look like for your family. This is what boasting in a weakness may look like for us too. Um, we can't afford it. They can't afford it. They have one. They have one. We need one. Uh, we can't afford it. 
But why do we think, why does that, that phrase bring so much tension to us? Because we think we buy things and it validates who we are. If I could get that, people would think this and we'd be good and then I'd be content. No, you'd be more conceited. <laughs> it's backwards. Maybe it's boasting in your weaknesses. We're struggling in our marriage for the first time. Never thought it'd happen. Or we never have been on the same page. <laughs> Either way, maybe it's parenting. And boy, that's a hot button for mamas. And dads too. I, I'm, I can't do this. I'm at the end of my rope. I hear that a lot from our people. I hear that a lot at my house, out of my mouth. <laughs> and that's boasting in your weakness. And listen, I'm, you know, this, this time of season, we, we try and validate ourselves with this gift giving and this buying. And look, don't overspend to validate yourself. I'm not saying don't be generous. I'm not saying don't be sacrificial in your giving. I'm not saying that. Just don't try and validate yourself by giving. When your budget says you can't do that. That's a thorn I was giving you and you just put it on a credit card. <clears throat> don't do that because that's more bondage. Now, overspend and go overboard if you're buying me something. But <clears throat> maybe it's wherever you are. Listen, you're not going to find contentment until you can bring yourself to say, I will all the more, let's see, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. Gladly. Gladly. I am delighted that I'm having these struggles right now. I am delighted that this is hard. I am glad that this is difficult for us right now. Until you can say that, you won't find contentment. And you won't say that if you're conceited. Do you see the connection? I hope this, these dots are connected. If you're constantly trying to validate yourself, you will never admit you need anything. And until we can say, I am delighted in this struggle, illness, chronic or seasonal, I am delighted. And you won't get to contentment with that until you get there by his grace. Hebrews 13, 5, turn there quickly. We're real familiar with Hebrews 13, 5. A lot of people use this. A lot of the money guys that, uh, <clears throat> and, and rightly so, they use it and expose this passage <clears throat> when they're talking about Christian stewardship and finances. But we rarely camp out in verse 6. And this is where I want us to look when it comes to killing the conceit and boasting in our weakness. Hebrews 13, verse 5 and 6. Paul, I mean, the writer's just kind of rattling off ways to walk in this grace. And he says in verse 5, Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. There's contentment. That's the goal. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. There's the sustaining grace. His grace is sufficient. But then verse, verse 6. This is so convicting to me. So we can confidently say, confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? That's the kryptonite for conceit right there. Conceit cannot exist when our hearts say, I can confidently say, the Lord will be my helper. I don't care what anybody else thinks or does to me. He will be my helper. That's the kryptonite for conceit. Verse 6. Can we confidently say that? Do we confidently say that? If you've, if you've never read this book, ask, buy this self for, your, uh, for yourself for Christmas right here. When, when people are big and God is small, 
If you, don't, if you haven't read it, well, we may have some copies over there, but, but buy this. It's not that expensive. Uh, get you this book and uh, Jeremiah Burroughs' Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. Okay? There's the two plugs. Helpful books. Okay? When it comes to conceit and boasting in our weaknesses and our trials and contentment. Get this. This is what uh, Ed Welch says in this book. Three reasons why we fear people around us. Three reasons why we stay in this perpetual state of conceit. We fear men because they can expose us and humiliate us. We fear men because they can reject and ridicule us. We fear men because they can attack us and they can threaten us. We fear men because they can expose us and humiliate us. They can reject us and ridicule us. They can attack us and they can threaten us. And you know what's crazy? A conceited heart that's constantly trying to validate our own self-importance welcomes these fears into your living room. Come on in, man. Fear of men? Have a seat. Stay a while. Because I'm working real hard at trying to validate myself. And so all these fears is where I live. If it's up to me to make myself feel important and to validate who I am and where he has me, welcome fear. Welcome fear of man. Come on in, ridicule, embarrassment. Come on in, humiliation and threats. Stay a while. Conceited heart ushers in these fears and it keeps us in bondage to our weakness. But Paul says, I'm not going there. I'm going to boast gladly. I'm going I'm to, all the more gladly I'm going to boast that I don't have a handle on fill in the blank. I don't have a handle on fill in the blank. I'm still hurt. I'm still mad. I'm still frustrated. I don't have a handle on it. Gladly. I'm delighted in that. And there's a reason why. Because his grace is sufficient. And sufficient means just enough. It's ample to get you through the trial, to get you through the pain. It, it may seem like you're done and you're toast most nights, but he gives you just enough to take another step to get you through the trial because where you're going to land is contentment in his finished work and contentment in his sustaining grace. And you'll be quiet and you'll rest in who he is and what he does. And that's where he's taking you even though it may feel very violent and it may feel very difficult and it may feel impossible. The reason he's pushing you through that trial is to bring you to the place where you can trust and rest and be quiet and content with his finished work and his sustaining work. But a conceited man will just bring fear back in. One other note here on boasting and weakness. Boasting and weakness is not a cry for pity. Boasting in weaknesses is not a cry for pity. If I'm boasting in weakness and I'm looking for pity, what I'm saying is, here's my weakness and I'm not doing anything about it. You come fix it. Do you see that? I, I need help. I can't do anything. Wah. I won't take instruction. I won't take help to move in this. You just come fix it for me. I can't do anything. That's not what Paul's saying here. And we'll see that in Philippians in just a minute. Paul's not saying boast in your weakness as a cry for pity. If it's, <clears throat> excuse me, if it's your finances, it's not, we don't have any money left. Somebody, please come bail me out. That's, that's not what this is. Because if you're crying and boasting in the weakness of a financial difficulty, get ready. Because he's going to use the spirit and his body to meet your need and sustain you in grace. He'll use his spirit to comfort you and he will use his body to come alongside you. That's his sufficiency. His sufficiency is found in his spirit and his body. And the body will come along and help you with your finances. And most likely, look, we are neck deep in folks that can help you in that area, in the marriage, in the finances. And they may come with a red pen to your budget. And that's grace. So don't think this is pity that he's crying out for. This is, I need help. 
I don't have a handle on this. I'm hurting. That's what this is. So we come to verse 10. Paul says, For the sake of Christ, then. Key word there, then. For the sake of Christ, then. Okay, what do you mean then? Why, how do we get here? Why'd you say then? Well, I'm boasting in my weaknesses. Why? Because he gave me this trial. And I know it's a gift from him. And I know it's keeping me from being conceited and being robbed of the liberties of blessing, weeping, rejoicing, and living in peace. I know that. I know that now. And I know this works backwards. That's what Paul would... That's why words I'm putting in his mouth. That's why he's saying then. That's the thought here. I know all this now. So, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, he is strong. Content and delighted. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. This is the last place I'll have you turn this morning. Philippians chapter 4. Verse 10 to 13. Very familiar passage to most of us. I mentioned it early on in the message that contentment is not dumb luck. You know what I mean? Well, sure, he's content. His car runs. Mine doesn't. Well, sure, he's content. He's paying his bills. And he's got extra. We don't. Well, sure, they're content. Their kids are perfect. (laughs) Dumb luck. That's not contentment. That's not how people get to contentment. Contentment is learned. Contentment is learned via trials. Philippians 4, verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Paul's realizing that they wanted to help him. They couldn't get to him. And he's just telling him, thank you. I know you were concerned and you couldn't get to me. Thank you. And then verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. That's the pity part. I, I, no, I'm not asking you. I'm not saying I, you need to do something right now. Don't bail, I'm not asking for a bailout right now. He's, he's clarifying that for them. But I'm just saying, thank you for being aware of my need. I know you are aware of it. It's an encouraging statement. It's not seeking pity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. Key phrase, it's mentioned twice here. Comma, underline it. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. And here is the most taken out of context verse on every football t-shirt ever. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not saying because of Jesus, anything I put my hand to will be winners. That's not what he's saying. He's saying no matter what thorn No matter how many times I lose my job. No matter how many times the bank account hits $12. No matter how many times the car breaks. No matter how many people walk out and leave. No matter loss of family and children. No matter what. I can endure it. Through his sufficient, sustaining grace. 
no matter how sick, no matter what. I can endure it. Why? Well, because I've learned a lot and I know a lot of things about the Bible. That's how I can do it. Well, you see, I had a really good father and grandfather, and so I know how to buck up during hard times. No. I can get through it and endure. How? Jesus. His finished work and his sustaining grace. He will never leave me, and I can confidently say that I will not fear men in my circumstance, and he will help me. Confidently say that. And I'm delighted that he has me here. What? It's very difficult, but it's not dumb luck. It doesn't just land on people. It's learned. And I hope and pray that it's not phony in us. And this is what I mean by that. I hope that this contentment is not like holding your breath, which I'm really good at that. Well, are you content? Yeah, man, we're good. And in my head, I'm thinking... Because nothing's going wrong this week. That's fake. That's phony. I want a real quiet frame of spirit. No matter what. And that is not easily obtained. It's learned, but it's not easily obtained. The book I mentioned a while ago, Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. It's, it's a kind of a difficult read because it's written by a Puritan. And, but you can fight through it and it's good. And I'm going to kind of paraphrase one of his thoughts here. This is that phony partial contentment I'm talking about. He says this, Jeremiah Burroughs. In some people, there is a partial contentment. It's not the frame of their soul, but some part of them has some contentment. Many men may be satisfied in their judgment about a trial, but cannot for the life of them control their affections, their thoughts, or their will. That is what me, makes me say that contentment is an inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit, the whole soul, judgment, thoughts, will, affections, and all are satisfied and quiet in Christ's sufficiency. I suppose that merely bringing this subject up, we begin to see that contentment is a lesson that you need to learn. And that if contentment is like this, it is not easily obtained. So if he's got you in one of those unbelievably painful, confusing, blinding trials, know this. He's keeping you from conceit. He's keeping you from getting robbed of the liberties of blessing and rejoicing and weeping and living in harmony. He's keeping you from that, from being conceited in yourself. And he's turning you via that trial. He's turning you down this road that's going to end in this peaceful pasture of contentment and quiet via an unbelievably difficult trial. It's not easy. It's not easily, easily obtained. But Christ is enough. I pray that we will trust, trust him, not just his finished work, that we will trust completely and be reminded and reset our minds on his finished work, but that we would reset our minds on his sustaining work. Hebrews 13, 6. And that we will be setting our minds on the spirit, not the flesh, boasting in our weaknesses via our trials, and that he is liberating us from conceit from constantly trying to validate who we are. And so, we come to this Lord's Supper, and I want us to think in terms of the supper this morning as a reminder of our liberation. Remember that Romans 12, bless those who curse you. Rejoice with those, weep with those. Sounds like God, doesn't it? I will bless and save and be gracious to people who curse me. Uh, that's us. We are set in opposition to him. And via his grace, he blessed us anyway with Jesus. He made a way. That sounds like him. He's setting us free from conceit. Via the cross. Via 
his blood, and via his body. He is setting us free. So, we come to this supper, liberated from conceit. We come to this table, not just being liberated. Come to the table this morning and share in this supper doing this. Boasting in your weaknesses. Boasting in our trials. And you know what that's a great backdrop for? The sufficiency of his grace. It's a beautiful backdrop to the sufficiency of his grace. When we come to this bread and this juice, boasting in our weaknesses, boasting in our trial. Boy, it looks sufficient and ample, doesn't it? It's liberating. Let me find my passage here. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup. After supper, saying, This is the cup, the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Remember, already not yet. Until he comes. Resting in a finished work. Resting in a sustaining work until he gets back. Resting in a finished work. Resting in a sustaining work until he comes back. Boasting in our inability and his sufficiency this morning. Let's pray and then we'll share in the supper. God, it's our prayer that you would make us a quiet, content people for your sake and your glory, that Jesus would be put on display, his sufficiency would be put on display via our trials. And as we come to this supper, we take this bread as sufficient and ample and finished and complete. And we take it boldly boldly and gladly and delightfully boasting in our inabilities, in our struggles, in our fights, in our oppositions, in our hindrances, especially on our mind. Backdrop is your sufficiency. And that resets our mind on the Spirit this morning. We're grateful. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Just, uh, you know, on Sundays, the preacher thinks about all the things he wished he had said. And just one thing, um, that boasting gladly in your weakness is not just saying I need help. That needs to happen. Um, it's not necessarily need to be, um, you know, broadcasts, but there's people close to you. There's small groups. Share those things. But it's not just that. Boasting also in his sufficiency. And some of you have some good news. I know your stories. You have some good news of his sufficiency and rest. Boast in that too. Don't just boast in your need, but feel freedom to share in how he's gotten you through that. Um, I just wanted to clarify that because I know I know the story. I know what he's doing and I want to encourage you to keep boasting in his sufficiency through your difficulties. God, we are so grateful for your grace via the Martins and the Lewis family. We're grateful for the time that they were able to spend here. We pray that it was fruitful in their lives and in their families. Um, we're, we're praying that they will be faithful at C3 and Rallette and that you would continue to use them like you have here and that they can go in confidence and with blessing knowing that they've been faithful with a lot here and that they'll be faithful there. And God, we're reluctant to give them up, but we pray that C3 and Rowlett, the leadership, the elders, the deacons, the families, the shepherds, would be blessed like we have been blessed here to have them. That you continue to guide whatever it is in Kai's heart about uh, pastoring or preaching or teaching, whatever role you give Chris there in deaconing or any sort of service role. And then for uh, Emily and Jessica as they follow into their roles in ministry there. We pray that you would guide them and and reassure them 
And keep these two men from conceit, God, from having to validate anything in their ministry roles. And um, we're grateful for the finished work of Jesus and the sustaining grace of Jesus this morning. And we are grateful for the time to have in worship and gather. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.